I'm speaking now to you in poetry, the form of it known as iambic verse. Think of iambic as I am repeated. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. It is the human heartbeat put in words. Ba-bum, 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 ba-bum. The form most used by Shakespeare in his plays and by John Milton in his masterpiece Paradise Lost. You'll hear ten syllables in every line, occasionally eleven, in which the following rhythm dominates. Da-da, da-da, da-da. Da 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 da, or when the verse line has a feminine ending, da 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 da, as in the third line of this very poem. So stressed beats follow unstressed ones. You see, when there are five such heartbeats in a line, it's called pentameter. Also observe, I have in places to maintain the rhythm shortened some words like following. Becomes following and feminine, feminine. Of course, when you write your own poetry, no strict adherence to rhythms required, and words may deviate from the stressing pattern. For deviate, I suggest two syllables. Yet be aware how oft the form is used throughout the great works of the English language, and even in speech patterns of we Brits. I wonder if Adam, the first of men. Before he died, in eating from the tree that cursed us with knowledge of good and evil, spoke thus while praying or caressing Eve. In which case, let us resurrect his model. For now, dear students, comes your homework drill, which I, by rhyming couplet, would instil. For next week, darlings, all you have to do is learn this lesson I've laid out for you. My name is Abdul Leroy, author, poet, narrator, voice actor, all-round creative genius. Welcome to the Poet Prophetic podcast. I just recorded my poem Iambic Pentameter, which is from my book Well Versed. As you may have gathered by now, I love language. It's the material of my life, and I often hear things in language that don't make sense. For example, the word counterintuitive. When people say that, they mean something like it's not what you would think, but what you would think is tuitive. So it would be more accurate to say something is counterintuitive. Something else I often hear, and it's like nails on the blackboard to me, is. Could potentially, because potential is already included in the word could. So adding potentially is redundant. These are fairly innocuous examples, but misuse of language can be more dangerous. Such as war on terror. That doesn't make sense. You can't make war against an emotion. And if terror is instead shorthand for terrorism, then war. Is a form of terrorism and can only increase terrorism. Yet this fiction has non-fiction consequences, devastating ones. There was a report out last week, the Costs of War project from Brown University, showing how this idea has caused the deaths of millions of people and cost the U.S. taxpayer several trillion dollars. 
War on terror is also a term that makes a claim to its own immortality because, of course, it can never be won. It's well documented that war is an addiction. And the United States government is a war addict and always looking for its next fix. George Orwell describes in 1984 how war is used as a means to promote inequality. And you may say this is a prophetic observation, and I regard George Orwell as a great prophet. Prophecy is not necessarily foretelling the future. Sometimes it's merely seeing the obvious in the present and stating the obvious and that includes seeing through the fictions created from language. And those fictions include euphemisms governments use, enhanced interrogation, more accurately described as torture, collateral damage, murder or genocide, extraordinary rendition, kidnapping. These are examples where long formulations of words are spun instead of the shorter and obvious phrases or words. A key strategy of falsehood is to use words as a smokescreen, an excess of words. As Homer wrote in the Odyssey, empty words are evil. But brevity is the soul of wit, to quote Shakespeare, as I often do. And that's where poetry comes in. If you've seen the movie Looking for Richard with Al Pacino. They interview people in New York and ask them what they think about Shakespeare, what they think about poetry. And for me, the most memorable one is, is with a guy who, who looks like he's homeless, he's missing most of his teeth, but he says something I've never forgotten, which is that our world, our society, uses a lot of words to say very little, but poetry uses few words to say everything. And I was in a bookshop once in New York and I saw this quote on the wall. I don't know who wrote it originally, but I wrote it down and I've carried it with me ever since. Quote, A great poet packs enough life into a sonnet to fill the average sleepy mortal 70 years. If you have the stamina to swallow your ideas straight, read poetry. I get contact with the fieriest minds that have ever flamed in human bodies. Into my pigeonholed mind, poetry has rolled a wave of the intimate, star-filled universe. Unquote. By its very brevity, poetry is inherently political, inherently opposed to our structures of power, simply because of its economy of words, its distillation of complex ideas into metaphor. Prose can make its fine arguments to the intellect, but poetry connects with the heart, and the heart informs the intellect. So poetry has a transformative and revolutionary role to play. And that's never been truer than today, when so many empty words and empty tweets and casual blasphemies are spoken by our power brokers. I also call into question the terms left-wing and right-wing because they confine ideas to the narrow theatre of politics when the true issues are on an infinitely grander scale in the realms of love and hate, creation and destruction, life and death. Trump's got to go not because he's right-wing, not because he has the putative label of Republican, though, as Noam Chomsky points out, the Republican Party of today is the most dangerous organisation in the entire history of human existence, but because he is an agent of hate, an agent of destruction, an agent of death. 
One way to save politics from itself and to redeem it from the confining theatre of its own making is simply to remember the law of love. Christ has only given us two commandments, to love God and to love others as ourselves. It's sometimes called the golden rule or royal law, simply to treat others as we would be treated. If you were sick, for instance, would you want to be denied medical treatment? Or if you were a refugee, would you want to be turned away at a border? Would you want to have your child or your parent ripped from you? And if we take the biblical declaration that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, what right does any mere mortal have to say to another mortal, you cannot come into this land? You and I are just passing through this theatre that we call the world. We're all just tenants here. Trump also calls to mind for me the Bible's prophecies about a coming man of lawlessness. And I don't know if Trump is the man of lawlessness prophesied in the book of Daniel or in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, but he is certainly a man of lawlessness and of that ilk. Now I'm going to share another audiobook excerpt from my epic Elijah. I'm doing my best in sharing these excerpts to avoid plot spoilers, though of course you may already know the Old Testament story. But along with telling that story, I've also woven my own inventions, as poets do, as John Milton did with Paradise Lost. And that work of literature, that epic poem Paradise Lost, is a major life force for me. Gore Vidal described it as the masterpiece of the English language, and I would agree with that. And I say that as a man who lives, loves, and breathes Shakespeare. This is from Book 10 of Elijah, also a work written in iambic pentameter. We're going to hear of the military prowess of a great angel, Abdiel. And he appears here because I first encountered him in Milton's Paradise Lost, and gave him recurring roles in my own epics, Elijah and Obama's Dream. And, of course, I've also taken my own name from him. Enjoy. Through realms of starlight, Abdiel descends, another mission to Elijah bringing. His wings curve space, time to his bidding bends, so gifted from before the world's beginning. Past fiery regions, chaos, gas and cloud, all glorious spectacle his eyes behold. He hears the songs of spheres nature endowed, traverses vast frontiers, hot and cold. But twixt the canopy of space and earth is air, and he the prince of it, who knows his time is short, would thwart a champion's worth, among his tactics empty threats and shows. The earth in marble splendour Abdiel nears, when four great demons, rising from the skies, come into view. These were cherubim peers, before allied with the father of lies, and they surround their leader darkly bright, who glowers at Abdiel, his sovereign foe. Outnumbered, surely he would check his flight, an easier time his task to undergo. This is the expectation Satan has, when their eyes meet. He is about to speak, some threat, some taunt, some accusation, as such are the stratagems that cowards seek. 
But Abdiel knows no parley will prevail on fiends who've all nobility forgot. Negotiation, discourse, naught avail. To bandy empty words will serve him not. Besides, he's dispatched by divine decree, pursuing which, an act of faith, he speeds forward, forward, never tempted to flee, trusting the Lord upholds his servant's needs. It is a hero's blessing to confront opponents, overwhelming odds, it seems, to overcome an enemy's affront, the more to glorify heroic themes. Attack the best form of defence, he steered at Satan, strikes him in the chest, whereat the devil tumbles backward, shocked, afeared, and calls his henchmen forth to answer that. The momentary check to Abdiel's flight has given time for Satan's thuggish four to near the seraph blazing holy light, who rolls and swerves beyond their reach to soar. A spear is flung at which he deftly veers, but now, with two great beasts before and two behind, his way seems barred as each foe nears. He puts on speed as if to drive on through. Such a collision, had he pressed this course, had shaken the foundations of the world. But ere the clash could come of mighty force, with sudden wing flick he is upward hurled. A flash of light, his enemies he blinds. Who into one another straight collide, float dazed in space, while Abdiel passage finds to earth his prophet's message to confide. To give chase is the fiend's first inclination, recover wounded pride, rallies his yobs from stupor to repair humiliation, though they're accustomed to far easier jobs, like whispering nightmares in a sleeper's ear. Dispersing evil thoughts, which then they blame on hearers, trying with accusation, fear, to cause inaction, choke a holy flame. But brief is their resolve on this occasion. For Abdiel's ally, Michael, comes with speed, alerted by the recent altercation, with warriors famed for their heroic deeds. Among them, a most zealous angel, keen to prove valour in this illustrious band, young Zephon, flying with a mighty team, to learn his craft ere take his own command. Seeing which, the demons do not wait to fight, take to their heels, seeking convenient spheres to hide behind and shadow over light, pursued by Michael, the celestial peers. Great tales there are of this angelic race to tell, and of how Zephon showed his worth. But we, this scene of skirmishing in space, must leave for now, and swift return to Earth. For years, our man of God has played his part. His brethren prophets found a place among, instructing others in the seer's art, Elisha most of all a spiritual son. Elijah's heart treasures the Lord's command given at Sinai all those years ago before he met Elisha, understands the kindred fire that in the youth's soul glows. He is the lad who by the vineyard wall approached Elijah after he denounced King Ahab. Though a farmer's boy, his call was to work wonders prophecies pronounce. By now grown to young manhood, 
he refines his craft, Elijah teaching all he can. Precocious talent, who God's will divines, interpreting the ways of God to man. But oft Elijah to a hill withdraws, to sit and meditate, where dusk and dawn, songbirds their brilliant chorus, without pause, freely impart, to lift the heart careworn. This eventide he sits beneath a tree, his back resting against the trunk, eyes closed, so inner vision may the better see, and learn what may in silence be disclosed. Tis neither sight nor hearing that conveys the angel's presence, but a warming glow, as if the sun returned with brighter rays, reversing dusk, renewed heat to bestow. Toward the source, Elijah turns his face, opens his eyes, and recognises he who first appeared to him with marvellous grace when praying for death beneath another tree. Abdiel is stood in human form, although with iridescence he's illumined yet, fired up by his encounter with the foe, contested at earth's threshold lately met. The man of God, delighted, starts to rise. Nay, sit, I'll join you there. The setting sun supplies a glorious spectacle. Let's treasure it. So saying, he sits beside him, and in awe, the two behold the sinking orange arc, through purple strands of cloud at heaven's door, descend in majesty, ere skies turn dark. Elijah, says the messenger at last, much has befallen since beneath that tree we met and spoke of things future and past, of Ahab's doom and of his progeny. No doubt you know that Ahab fell in war. Elijah answers that outside the city the dogs licked up his blood, as you foresaw, and citizens rejoiced rather than pity. Yet Jezebel lives still, the mastermind of Naboth's downfall, life and property, while Ahaziah, Ahab's kin and kind, is king of Israel, son of infamy. The angel says, Of him I come to speak. After his drunken fall, now at death's door, his messengers from Baal will counsel seek to ask if he shall die or health restore. Tomorrow intercept them in their task with this message. Is it because there's not a god in Israel that you go to ask Beelzebub to tell you of your lot? Now therefore, says the Lord, you shall not leave the bed you lie on, but shall surely die. Elijah smiles. And how will Jezebel receive the news? What vengeance shall her malice try? Then smiling turns to laughter, for the man of God harbours no fear of the queen mother. Long gone the days of terror when he ran to desert wilds, nor fears he any other. The Lord, through every danger, every threat, has faithful proved. Elijah's strength and shield, his outstretched arm still mighty to protect, while wondrous power the prophet's prayers wield. Soldiers will be dispatched, of that be sure, the angel says, but thou mayst call down fire upon their heads, and heaven's answering roar shall burn them up, their company entire. 
but harm no hair of that man's head who in the vineyard gave thee aid. The one among the royal bodyguard, look out for him. Of his valour have angels' praises sung. Yes, Eleazar, whose worth I well recall, him shall I spare, and any of like mind. Soldiers there are loyal to Yahweh's call to guard the land, not with false gods aligned. So says Elijah, and his heart at peace beholds the beauty of the dying day, savours the sense that eventide's released, lost in the wonders of nature's display. At last, emerging from the purple cloak of dusk, stars here and there begin to peep. The nighttime constellations have awoke to sentinel the heavens, guard the deep. Elijah shuts his eyes, sleep drawing near, as Abdiel murmurs parting words. I will remain close till the chariot appear that bears thee up to heaven by God's will. Elijah sighs, still in a drowsy state, till realization of the message takes, intends to ask the angel to relate again his message, but when he awakes, gone is the being who just now sat by. The prophet clambers up and looks around, no sign of him, he asks himself, did I dream that? As deep in thought, he's homeward bound. So that's today's audiobook excerpt. If you want to hear the entire 12-book epic of Elijah, the audiobook, it's about a four, four-and-a-half-hour read. You can get it free with a trial of Audible, also at Amazon, iTunes, Kobo, pretty much wherever audiobooks are sold. Each episode, I also announce a book giveaway on Amazon for the following Friday. So mark your calendar for this coming Friday, November the 30th, when you can get a free Kindle version of Elijah on Amazon. Meanwhile, you can always get a free book any day of the week by going to my website, poetprofits.com, and going to the free book page. OK, until next week, this has been Abdiel Leroy.